Are you ready to get into the Word of God? If you're ready, turn to the person next to you and say, God wants to speak to you. And I really believe that. I really believe that. I'm very excited today, extra, extra excited to bring you the Word of God. We're coming back to the book of Galatians. We took a break last week where we listened to uh, Pastor Paul talk to us about the seven habits of disciple making, of disciple maker. How many of us were there? Yeah, how many of us enjoyed the message? Let me see your hand. If you miss it, I encourage you to turn back, tune back into YouTube and watch it and catch it. It's really, really good. Just don't do it now. Now I need you right here to be present, to be focused. When you get out there, go ahead and do so. All right, let's turn our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26 today. We're going to come back into the passage. And it's a very exciting passage. It's a very powerful passage as well. And we're going to get into the Word to see what it says to us. So in verse 16... So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warned you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and his passions and his desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we will commit this moment into your hands. Spirit of God, would you just rest on every single person right now who are listening to the sound of your voice. Spirit, would you speak powerfully and mightily to every single heart in this place to bring about the change and the transformation that only you can bring. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let's recap what is happening up until this point in Galatians chapter 5. What Paul has been doing is he's, he's been having a go at the Galatians. He's scolding them and he's reprimanding them. Why? Because they think that coming under the law was the way towards growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 21, he says, you who want to be under the law, why would you want to do that? They thought it was the way forward in growing themselves to lead a godly life. Now, part of the attraction of the law is this is that it gives you something clear and something concrete to work on. It gives you a list of checklists of do's and don'ts. It gives you a KPI of what God expects from you. So it's very clear. That's part of his extraction. But what Paul is saying is, guys, the law is still not good enough. He spent the last four chapters, we spent the last nine weeks, 10 weeks talking about this. The law is not good enough, but he hasn't done this. He, answered, he haven't answered the question, what then is good enough? In this passage, he will do so. You see, the power of our sinful nature 
what Paul calls the flesh, is so powerful and so scary that when we try to remove the law, the rules and the regulation from us, what is to keep our own passions, our own evil desires, our own sinfulness from bursting out? What is to keep it from swallowing up ourselves and our children, our spouses, our loved ones, our friends? Paul has one answer in this passage, the Spirit, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit poured into our hearts is the answer to a godly life. Somebody say amen. amen. And there are two things that we wanna raise and talk about today. Two things about the Spirit that he brings in this passage. If you're writing notes, today's message is called Living by the Spirit. And the first point is this, the Spirit's fight. Paul teaches us about the Spirit's fight and he, and tell, he tells us to walk by the Spirit knowing that the Spirit is going to fight. So verse 16, let's read. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Now how many of us have watched this amazing movie called Shang-Chi? Raise your hands. Yeah, good movie. Fantastic movie, I loved it. Asian representation in Hollywood, woo! Fantastic. And it was a really good movie. If you haven't already watched it, go ahead and watch it, all right? Not now, once again, when you go home. Now there's this epic scene, if you've watched Shang-Chi, there's this epic scene, the final battle between two dragons. You remember that scene, those, those of you who watch? Two dragons having a fight at one another. Go at one another. Two giant dragons fighting at each other. And if you notice at the background, when the dragons were fighting each other, there were those little people. People, not little people, but they looked very little compared to the dragons. And they were holding many different kinds of weapons. One of them was holding a spear. And some of them were holding swords. And some of them were holding bows and arrows. We all know that these guys don't contribute to the fight because the real epic fight was between the dragons. The fight, that scene, that epic scene, belonged to the dragons. You know, it's the same for us when it, when it comes to fighting in the spirit. Have you ever found it hard to fight your own sinful nature? Have you ever hard to, found it hard to fight your own addiction, your own bad habits? It is because it was never your fight in the first place. The Bible tells us that the war against our sinful nature is fought by two parties. The flesh. In the red corner, we have the flesh. In the blue corner, we have the spirit. It is these two that are fighting the war. It is not us and the flesh. That's why it's so hard to fight sin, isn't it? That's why the people around you, even your loved ones, your children, your spouses, your partners, they are struggling with the sin, not because of them, not because of you, but the fight is between the spirit and the flesh. The Living Bible puts it this way in verse 17. These two forces within us are constantly fighting each other to win control over us, and our wishes are never free from their pressures. Brothers and sisters, there is a war raging right now between the flesh and the spirit. Now, wars fight and wars happen because two different parties are fighting for the same thing. What is this thing that the Spirit 
and the flesh is fighting for. The Bible tells us it is to win control over us. I feel like as I get into this part of the message, some of you need to hear this today. That God, the Spirit, God is fighting for you. God is fighting for you. It sure doesn't feel like that all the time. Sometimes it feels like you're alone. Sometimes it feels that no one understands what you're going through. Sometimes it feels like you're fighting in the corner with your backs on the wall all by yourself. And some of you are feeling this in this moment. God wants to remind you that God is fighting for you. God wants to remind you that God is not only fighting for you, He's also fighting for your spouses. He's fighting for your partners. It might feel like it's the end for them, but the Spirit is still fighting. It might feel like it's the end for your children. Some of them might have left the faith. Some of them might feel like they're slipping away from the faith. They feel like they're going into addictions and bad habits. But God is still fighting for your children. The war is not over. The Spirit is still in conflict with sin. For you, for your spouse, for your partners, for your children. Somebody say amen. He does it because He loves you and He loves them so much. That's why the Holy Spirit fights. It's not your fight. It is the Spirit's fight. So the key question in discipleship, in following Jesus is not, are you winning the war against your spirit? Are you winning the war against your flesh and your sinful desires? That's not the key question. The key question is, whose side are you standing on? Are you standing on the side of the flesh or are you standing on the side of the Holy Spirit? Because if you stand on the side of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you will not lose. Why is it so? The Holy Spirit cannot lose. The Holy Spirit never loses. How do I know this? Because the Bible says this in verse 16. Look at it with me. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The English translation here is very weak. The Greek translation, the original Greek language is way stronger than that. There is a word in the Greek that is said that, that's called ume. Everybody say ume. Ume literally means it will never ever happen. It is the strongest declaration that you can find in the Bible about things that will never ever happen. Ume. It means it's impossible. It means that it will never happen. It means It will never happen. It means It means no way, Jose. Turn to your neighbor and say Ume. Uh, some of you might say yes, because that's my name. <laughs> my name is Ume, yes. It's like God when he declared in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, never will I leave you, Ume. Never will I forsake you, Ume. It will never ever happen. So what is Paul saying in here? Paul is declaring to us as strongly as he can, if you want to live a godly life, walk by the Spirit. Because you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, rules cannot curb our sinful desires. You tried that? Giving rules to yourself, giving rules to your children, how did that work out for you? It doesn't, it doesn't curb our sinful desires, but the Holy Spirit can. 
regulations cannot tame our fleshly evilness, but the Holy Spirit can. You see, you cannot overcome the power of sin, but the Holy Spirit can. So walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what the Bible says. But what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? To walk by the Spirit, to walk, is a Jewish word picture of life, of living. Because for Jews, life is like a journey, you know? Like love is a river I want to keep flowing. Look, life is a journey that you keep taking steps towards. It is a word picture of living. But there are two aspects that I want to bring it out for us. To bring out what it means to walk by the Spirit. Number one, it is the centering aspect of walking by the Spirit. It's like driving centered and guided by the lane lines that you have when you're driving. Today, when you drove to church, you were driving on the road, weren't you? And on the road, I bet you that there were lane lines on your left and on your right that you're supposed to follow. You're supposed to drive in the middle. You're supposed to drive in the center, right? I hope so at least, right? <laughs> That's what you did. And not like veer to the left and veer to the right. The lane lines guide you to where you need to go. And our job is to drive centered to the lines. That's one aspect of following the Spirit. He is our guiding line that will bring us through life. Left and right, straight. He will lead us through and we need to center on Him. The second aspect is this. The continuous aspect. The centering aspect and the continuous aspect. It means it happens every day and every moment. It's like that old kids church song, you know, all the children of the 80s and the 90s, you might know this, you know. Walking with Jesus, walking every day, walking all the way. Come on, all you children of the 80s and 90s, you know the song. <laughs> walking with Jesus, walking with Jesus along. Walking in the sunlight, walking in the shadow, walking every day, walking all the way. Walking in the sunlight, walking in the shadow, walking with Jesus along. Like Mary Poppins. <laughs> so this song tells us about walking with Jesus in the every day, in the every moment, all the way. It is a continuous walking. So when it says to walk by the Spirit, it is continuous and is centered. So what it means is to live continually centered on the Spirit. It means not veering to the left. Sometimes you might deviate, you know, when you're driving and you go left and left and left until you hit the lane line, you realize and you come back to the middle. That's what walking by the Spirit is. There are days where you veer to the right and you go off, but you gotta come back to it. Try to stay centered continually on the Spirit. But don't stop there. The Bible doesn't just say to walk by the Spirit. The Bible also says to be led by the Spirit. So the first thing is the Spirit's fight. The second thing is the Spirit's fruit. Paul tells us about the Spirit fruit, and in that he tells us to be led by the Spirit. Now what we're gonna go into right now is a little bit of a Bible nerd part of it, okay? So we're gonna unpack this Bible in a way that is very, very interesting, very fresh to me. Fresh fruit. <laughs> Talk to me about the Spirit's fruit. So it's very interesting to me. How many of you are going to stay with me and stick with me and listen to what the Bible is going to say? Raise your hands. All right, very good. So stay with me. Let's read verse 18, all right? 
If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warned you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Remember Paul is saying that there is war going on between the flesh and the spirit. Here he's not just talking about the flesh and the spirit fighting each other. But he's saying they produce different kinds of things. And there are three things that Paul talks about in here that I really want to raise to all of us. He's trying, he's trying to do three things that most books might not tell you. But it's really important. The first thing that he does, notice he says that it is the acts, or in some translations, the works of the flesh in verse 19. And how does he begin when he talks about the Spirit? He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's not very obvious in here in the English, but in the Greek, the Greek word for fruit is kapos. Kapos. And kapos has two meanings. Literally, the first meaning is that it's an actual fruit, a real fruit, from a real tree like a lemon fruit from a lemon tree, like an apple from an apple tree, like a durian from a durian tree. It's a real fruit. But the second meaning of carpose is this. It's not a literal fruit, but a metaphorical fruit. So for example, when we say, it's something that's produced by an act or a work, something that comes out of work or act. For example, when you say the fruits of your labor, the fruits of your labor, I work really hard this month, and I deserve my wages, I deserve the, the fruits of my labor. So your boss comes up to you and say, well done for your hard work this month. Here's a durian for you. It's your fruit of your labor. That's not what it means. He will give you money in exchange for your work. It is produced for your, for your work. Or another saying, right, in Genesis chapter 1, God says, be fruitful and multiply. God didn't mean when you get married, you will give birth to durians. Be fruitful and multiply. Durians. No, it is produced by an act or a work. It is a metaphorical fruit. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it is the same metaphorical meaning. You see, the Spirit is not a tree. How many of us know this? The Spirit is not a tree. He doesn't produce physical fruit. The Spirit is a person. He produces things out of acts or works. So some translations, you can actually say kapos is effectively works or acts. So what is Paul doing here? He's saying the acts or the works of the flesh. And then in verse 22, he says, effectively the acts or the works of the Spirit. He's comparing two different things that are produced by two very different parties. The first thing he does is to compare. And the second thing he does is to go through the list. It's a very long list. And then we have nine fruit of the Spirit, nine parts of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a very long list. But look at what he says. He, everything that comes out of the flesh is good or bad. It's good or bad. It's bad. And everything that comes out of the Spirit is good or bad. Good. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, and it's self-control. It's all good. 
The second thing he does is not just to compare them, but then to contrast them, that they are so far apart. Just like oil cannot mix with water, the fruit of the Spirit can never be mixed with the works of the flesh. He contrasts them to be two different things. And the third thing he does is this. This is very interesting. You can see this um, when you look into it in the Greek. So if you see the fruit of the Spirit, he says this, right? It's translated in verse 23, gentleness and self-control. The word and isn't actually there. Actually, what it says is faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Why is this important? Because for Paul, the fruit of the Spirit is not just limited to nine things. You see, when I tell you I have three children, they are Elvin, Theodore, and Simon. You would know that I have three children. I just finished my list. Elvin, Theodore, and Simon. But if I don't use and, it could mean that my list goes on and on and on. So he doesn't actually use the word and in here. And the second thing is this, notice how he ends both lists. In verse 21, an envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the likes of this, many other things just like it. He's saying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And in verse 23, look at how he ends. Against such things, such things, there is no law. He's not saying against these nine things, there is no law. Things like this, it is Paul's way of saying, etc., etc., etc. What is he doing? He's comparing both lists, he's contrasting both lists, and he's characterizing both lists. He's giving you a representation of what the Spirit produces. If you really wanted to memorize the fruit of the Spirit, he does way more good than just these nine things. Isn't that true? He gives us mercy. He helps us to be tolerant, to live out justly. All these things, surely they are done by the Spirit as well. So Paul's point in characterizing two of them is to show the kinds of works that both produce, not to give us a complete list. You know, some of our kids this year when they grew up in faith kids, they memorized the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 to 23. Thank God that there are only nine fruit of the Spirit in here. If we were to list all the fruit of the Spirit, none of the kids would get any of their stamps. (laughs) They would all come back crying, well, there are too many, too difficult. But as it is, we have nine in there. But it's much more than that. So if I were to sum up what Paul is doing in this part, I would say this. Paul is essentially telling us that the fruit of the Spirit, these nine things, is not all the good that the Spirit does. That's not all. But... All that the Spirit does is good. Amen. All that the Spirit does is good. And all that the flesh does is not good. The flesh bears fruit that are anti or anti-good and anti-God. But the fruit of the Spirit are always for good and for God. Somebody say amen. Our lives are always bearing fruit. Something is always produced by by something that we do. The question is not if we are producing fruit, but which fruit are you producing? The fruit of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit? Bad fruit or good fruit? This week, in preparation for the sermon, 
I, I, I sent out a text to a few of my uh, Connect Group members. And I said, hey, uh, I need to have some lemon fruits. And there was an overwhelming response. So I wanna share an illustration with you today. Oh my God, very heavy. So I have a whole bag of lemon fruits. Real lemon fruits, not those that you buy from Kmart that are plastic. These are real lemon fruits. Now, how many of us know that only lemon trees can produce lemon fruits? How many of us know that only apple trees can produce apple fruits? How many of us also know that only the Spirit can bear the Spirit's fruit? You know, all that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those things that you read about in the Bible, have you ever felt like, God, I need to grow in my love for people? God, I need to grow in my joy right now. I need joy. God, I need some peace right now. I need peace. Come on, I need to work it out, ick it out. But how many of us know that only the Spirit can produce the Spirit's fruit? That's one thing that we want to talk about before we start. Now, I don't have a lemon tree, but I have a lot of lemon fruits today. There are two ways in which you can get lemons. One way is if you grow a lemon tree in your backyard, in your garden, then you will have a lot of lemons. Like all the brothers and sisters here who gave me their lemons, a lot of them had their trees and then it was fruitful. So they plucked it out and they gave it to me. That's one way to get lemons. And the second way to get lemons is if you know somebody who has a lemon tree and you ask them for it, can I have a lemon fruit? And this is what happens. The church is so generous. Our members are so generous that they gave us so many lemons. Do you know it's in the same way, that's how you get the Spirit's fruit? One way to get the Spirit's fruit in your life is if you are hanging out with somebody, somebody who has the Spirit in their lives. That's one way to do it. Who wants a lemon fruit? Uh, raise your hands if you want a lemon fruit. I'm, I'm, it's for real, I'm gonna toss it out. Make sure you catch it, okay? Okay, City Campus, you're not missing out. We thought of you, we love you. One of your pastors over there is gonna be throwing out lemons to you as well. If you're online, please post a lemon emoji so that you're with us. I'm gonna give out some of those lemon fruits. Raise your hands, please. There you go. Nice, cats. Uh, more lemon fruits. Okay, watch it, watch it. It's gonna go to your head. There we go. Oh, great job though. Over there, okay. Lemon fruit, lemon fruit, catch it. Watch your heads. There we go. Oh, okay, I got two more to give away, two more to give away. Oh man, you guys are testing me. I'll give one at the front, ready, ready? There we go. Nice catch, very good, okay. I'll leave one more, just to show you what I mean by this. Every week when you come to church, if you don't have the spirit inside of you, living in you to bear fruit, you can still leave this place today with love, joy, peace, patience. Why? Because some people who are filled by the Spirit, who have the Spirit resident in their life, can give you and rub off the Spirit's fruit in your life. But that's not what it means to bear the Spirit fruit in your life. What you need to do, what, what, another way to, to have the Spirit's fruit in your life is to allow the Spirit to be resident in your life. And when He's resident in your life, the Spirit will bear fruit. How many of us want one more fruit today? All right. Oh, all the way there, gosh. I'm not sure if the camera can actually do this. Who's that, Ethan? Okay, watch it, watch, watch your heads, guys. 
Nice. So if you want to have the Spirit's fruit in your life, don't just rub it off somebody who has the Spirit when you come to church, when you come to connect groups, but allow the Spirit to be resident in your life. Amen. But some of us are wondering at this point of time, but Pastor Dan, I believe in Jesus. Didn't we say a few weeks ago that if I believe in Jesus, that the Spirit will be living in me, that I will have the Spirit? Yes, that's true. But I think what Pastor Paul Jayachandran said last Sunday is also very true. He taught us last week, the question is not, do you have the Holy Spirit? But does the Holy Spirit have you? And that's why the Bible doesn't say, if you have the Spirit, in verse 18, if you have the Spirit, you are not under the law. No, it says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to be resident in your life. He wants to be precedent in your life. He wants to have the first say and the last say. He wants to watch over your coming in and your going out. He wants to have a blessing in your life that only comes through submission and obedience and being led by the Spirit of God. He wants to take over. Will you let Him take over? What does it mean for us to be led by the Spirit though? There's a story that I encountered that reminds me many times what it means to be led by the Spirit. About 20 plus years ago, I was a youth leader. Can't imagine, but I was very young and I was a youth leader. And one of the things that youth ministries do is youth camp, right? And on the very last night on youth camp, that's where everybody goes crazy. I assure you, it's not the case in Kinetic. We are very good kids. <laughs> But on the very last night, everyone would have wild fun. It would be so good. Um, but on the last night, we always have this program, this activity called the night walk. Anybody had some, such a thing? The night walk. And what we did was we, the leaders would set up a maze in church. We would turn off all the lights. There will be obstacles along the maze. We will blindfold the kids and we will send them in one by one to finish the maze. And along the maze, there might be people scaring you. There might be things that will try to distract you. The idea was to try to finish the maze. And I remember about 20 years ago, the first time we tried to run this program. It's like, we, didn't, we weren't very experienced. So what we did was we set up the maze. There were some obstacles. There were some twists and turns, some dead ends because it's a maze. And then we lined the kids up. We blindfolded them and we gave them instructions. Okay, here's what you're gonna do. When we say go, you're gonna go into the maze. You're gonna have to step over some things and turn around and when you find that you're lost, just turn your way back. And there is an opening that you will come out of. I promise you, be patient and do your best. Okay, that's what you're gonna do. One by one, now you go. And what we found out was that the, the game completely failed. Why? Some of them, when they go in there, they will start bumping into things because they're blindfolded. So they will start getting scars and they'll start getting ripped skin and they'll trip over, they'll get hurt. Some people will be taken out of the game. And then there will be others who will be so frustrated that they will just take out the blindfold and say, forget this, I'm out of this game, and they're out. Some people want to try their best. So they keep walking and walking and walking and walking and then they get so scared because they couldn't find a way out that they started bashing through the walls and they break the, the maze and we realize that doesn't work. So about the fifth or sixth person, I can't remember how many exactly, we said we gotta change the game. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have every single kid who walks through the maze to be paired up with a leader. And the leader is gonna lead the kid 
by the voice. Don't touch them because you're not allowed to touch them, but help them with your voice. In front of you, there are like two steps. So take two steps. Okay, that's good, that's good. Now, in front of your right leg, there is like an obstacle that's 30 centimeters high. I want you to raise it up as high as you can. That's good, that's good. Oh, just a little bit more. Okay, you're good, you're good. Now, put your leg over. Oh, good. Now, in front of you, there's a, there's a, there's a wall. Can you feel it? Yes, okay. On your right hand, there's a, there's a wall. Can you feel it? On your left, feel anything? No, no. Okay, I want you to turn to your left. Now, I want you to go straight. And so the leaders led the kids out one by one through their voice. And then all of them, always, 100%, will always make it out of the maze. I think this reminds me of what it means to be led by the Spirit. It means being continually influenced and directed by the Spirit. Come on, come on, come with me. You're gonna be okay, don't worry. It's gonna be a little bit tough. It's gonna be an upslope. Just come with me, just come with me. Now turn to the right, I want you to turn to the right. Continually influenced and directed by the Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God, you know, like in that, like in that, that game that we, we, we did, we, we set it up and we gave them instructions and we thought that they could go with it, but it didn't happen. The turning point came when we got into the game with them and walked through the game with them. Do you know it's the same in the Bible? When God gave the Israelites the law, He gave them instructions to follow. But how many of us know the game changers was, was when the Spirit of God Himself got into the game with us? and to lead us out of it. You see, the Spirit didn't just write the law and say, nah, there you go, good luck. He said, no, come, I will lead you. He got into the game and he said, I will lead you, follow me. In Ezekiel 36 verse 27, the Bible says this, and I will put my Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. When the Spirit of God is in you, and, the, and, and He is in you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, He will move you to follow His decrees. And He will help you to obey His laws. That's why the Bible says in verse 18 of Galatians chapter 5, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why? Because the one who wrote the law is now guiding you through the law. Because the one who fights for you is still fighting for you. Because the one who can only produce good things and lead you into good things will lead you into good things all the time. Try as you might, the law if placed on you, they will find nothing on you. If the law were to come against you, they will find that you are faultless, you are blameless. You cannot be under the law because the Spirit of God is leading you and guiding you always into good things and godly things. That's why in verse 23 also, when it ends the fruit of the Spirit, it says, against these things that the Spirit produces, there is no law. Because the Spirit produces all good things. If you were to be led by the Spirit, to be under the Spirit, we can find no evil. We can find no fault with you. There is no law against you. All 600 plus stipulations of the law, they will find nothing on you if you are led by the Spirit of God. That's what it means. If you're led by the Spirit, you will live for good and for God. And I wanna to speak to some of the young people in this room. I wanna to speak to some of the children. Because I believe, kids, that you're in here to hear this message, not because it's coincidence. And I believe the Spirit of God can speak to every single one of you. 
I believe that God is speaking to some of you and even to some of us who are older and not kids anymore. If your desire right now and God is nudging your heart that you want to live for good and you want to live for God, would you make this prayer with me? Holy Spirit, will you please lead me and walk with me? Holy Spirit, will you please lead me and walk with me? And I believe God is speaking to some of us, even the kids this morning. I wanna come back to the beginning in conclusion. Remember, this letter to the Galatians was not written to people living in sin, like enjoying sin, yoo-hoo, yay. These are not people like that. It was actually written to Christians who were trying hard not to live a sinful life. That's why they tried to be under the law. They were trying hard not to live a sinful life. That is good. But the problem is that they somehow believed that living under the law was going to get them there. So they started living by the rules instead of living by the Spirit. That's why Paul says in chapter 3, verse 3, you who started out in the Spirit, why are you doing it now in the flesh? You can only do it by the Spirit. Why do you trust rules? Why do you trust regulations? Why do you trust yourself now? It is by the Spirit that you're going to start this and end this. And I believe that Paul is speaking, the Bible is speaking, and the Spirit is speaking to some of us today. It is me as well as you whom God is speaking to today. You see, many of us try hard not to live a sinful life. Amen. Many of us actually try to do that. But many of us somehow believe that living by rules, living by do's and don'ts, living by regulations is the way to help us to live a godly life. That is good, but the problem is when we try to live a godly life by relying on the rules rather than relying on the Spirit. But God's Word in Galatians is telling us the only way to live a godly life and not to live according to the flesh is not by the rules, but by the Spirit. As I was preparing this message, about four, three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, all these things were coming up to the surface for me as I was studying the Word of God. And it was in that same period of time that I was having a lot of struggles teaching and disciplining my son. It was just during that period of time where actually I got really frustrated. And I found myself many times raising my voice, shouting at him at the top of my voice. I found myself many times telling him the do's and the don'ts. You see, I, I want to be a good parent. You see, I want my son to live a godly life. So I tell him, this is how you make good friends. This is how you don't be a bad friend. This is how you stick with a good friend and lose the bad ones. I don't want you to turn out into a bad egg. I want you to be a good godly Christian. Can you please stop doing that? Can you please? How many times have I told you you can't do that? No. I found myself angry, frustrated, and trying to discipline him with do's and don'ts, with rules, with the shouting of the voice so that I can try to get him to live a godly life. And as I was unpacking this verse, I thought I did pretty well in terms of disciplining my son. But then God spoke to me and he questioned me, Dan, Dan, do you think you were doing a good job? I said, God, yeah, I think so. I, I, think, I, I think I'm trying my best. I, I really am. I'm sometimes at my end, but I'm really trying my best. And I feel God just convicting me and asking me, 
Well then, if you think that you're doing your best, how much do you rely on yourself to discipline your son? And how much do you rely on my spirit to teach your son? You see, in that moment, I knew what God was pointing at because I spent so much time trying to discipline my son to live a godly life. And I spent so little time before God on my knees saying, God, would you just fill him with your spirit? God, would you just take over? God, would you just lead him? Lord, would you just lead me to be a good parent, not to do it out of my own strength or by rules or by regulations. Would you help me to hear your spirit's voice? Would you help him to hear your spirit's voice? Would you teach me how to teach him so he can hear your spirit's voice? So that he will hear my voice in his head all the time, shouting at him. So that he will hear your voice and be led by the spirit. I didn't realize I didn't do enough of that. And it's not just true for my own son, it's true for my own life. I try to live by the rules. And I believe for some of us, it's true in how we try to help our partners, our spouses to live godly lives. I know it's true maybe for some of us who try to teach our children to live a godly life. And so I begin to change. Two, three weeks ago, I began to start praying because I walk my dog every morning. I always pray. And I said, God, would you just fill my son with your spirit? God, would you just fill me with your spirit? God, would you just teach him what you want to teach him? God, would you teach him how to encounter you? God, would you teach him how to hear your voice? God, would you raise him up to be a godly person and do the things that only you can? Because the spirit can produce good fruits that I cannot. You can't do it, but I cannot. And the spirit, I know God, you're still fighting for us. You're still fighting for my son. And so I pray, and I pray, and I pray. And last Friday, just a Friday past, I was in one of the primary schools, his primary school's events, and I was just having fun with the other parents and the other kids. And out of the blue, one of the parents came up to me and Vanessa, my wife, and he said this, with a certain look on his face, he said, Dan, your son. I was like, oh shoot, what's happening? <laughs> okay, now what, now what? He said, your son. And he went on to praise my son for being so polite to him. And then he said this, you guys must be doing a great job. You know what my first reaction was? <laughs> you must be kidding. I mean, just all those things that happened the last couple of weeks, <laughs> you must be kidding. But the second thing that happened right after, inside my heart, I said, thank you, God. I said, thank you, God, because only you can do what he said and what he just described right there. You see, it's not that we did a great job, but it's because we have a great God. Somebody say amen. amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hip hand if that's your praise to him. And because we serve a great God, he can do a great work in your children. He can do a great work in your spouse. He can do a great work in you. He can do a great work in your family. Church, there is an anointing this morning. The Spirit of God is here. There's anointing this morning for families, for parents, for kids who want to live a good and godly life. There is anointing for the next generation, even if your parents and your family are not here, but you want to live a good and godly life by the power of your Spirit. 
I want to pray with you. We're going to have a time of ministry. I'm going to come together and pray. But right now, let, let me just pray for all of us as we end this sermon. Would you just stand with me in the presence of God? Let's bow our heads. Spirit of God, would you rest in this place right now? Over every person, over every family, over every relationship, over every child, over every next generation person, over every person who is struggling in their walk with you, in Jesus' name, would you pour out your spirit like never before. Help us to bear the fruit of the spirit in us. Help us to live for good and for God. Right now, Spirit, would you just move in this place? Right now, as we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, I wanna pray specifically. Some of you, I know it, God is nudging in your heart this moment. And if you are a parent, if you are a parent in this place and God is nudging in your heart, just twisting in your heart to say, you, would you just count on me? Would you just allow my spirit to now teach you, to teach your kids? Would you allow my spirit to work in your kids? If God is moving in your heart right now, I want you to come together with your family to the front. Just nudge your spouse and say, let's come to the front. Bring your kids with you if they're with you. Come to the front. If God is nudging in your heart, come to the front. And allow your spirit of God to move in your family like never before. We want to pray with you. We want to pray with your family. So give your nuts to the spouse as you come to the front. Kids, if God is stirring in your heart and He's making you feel like you want to live for good and for God, and that's your desire right now, don't let that moment pass and don't be afraid. Give a nuts to your mommy and daddy and say, mommy and daddy, I want to go down. Can you come down with me? And we will pray with you and we will pray with mommy and daddy. If that's who you are and you want to live for God, come to the front, kids. Let your mommy and daddy know. And for all the next generation, if your parents are not here, but you're representing your family, and God is nudging your heart for the same, come to the front. And we will pray with you. We'll stand with you in prayer and allow the Spirit of God to move in your family. If you got your kids and your kids are not here, come to the front. If God is nudging you, and we'll pray for your family as we intercede on behalf of your family for the Spirit of God to move in your family. Church, would you come to the front as we get into the time of worship and then we'll get into the time of prayer.